I miss a green, for example, I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. I am back from a long, lengthy road trip, uh, U.S. Open, and then followed by a week out in the Met section in New York, New Jersey, and uh, Connecticut. So it was a great trip. Saw a lot of new golf courses to me, which was uh, really phenomenal. I think, uh, you know, it's funny. I One of our, Matt Roosh's our, our podcast editor here, podcast producer, does a lot of things for us um he was it was the first time he'd been out there he's very into golf course design golf architecture and at one point he turned to me and he said does every place just have amazing land out here and it's kind of like yeah they do um that's what what makes it such an amazing part of the country for golf and uh it's always important to remember that when you start with a stellar site there's only so much that can go wrong and uh you know out there it's there's so much great land whether it's whether it's uh rocky soil like yale or sandy soil i think uh hollywood's pretty sandy it's not you know what pure sand or st george's which is which is pretty sandy as well on long island um you know the the land out there is just such a wonderful asset and obviously then the the other part of that is having all the great architects, Sands, really Mackenzie, work out there. Um, all the great American architects, other than Mackenzie and George Thomas, built golf courses in uh, in Long Island and in New York. So, really, I, I can't wait to get back out there. I'm and there'll be a lot more on my trip uh, on the Fried Egg and Club TFE. I'm just trying to come up for air uh, from that. Spend some good time with my family. Uh, today we have Shane Bacon on the podcast. We're talking Ryder Cup. It's it's kind of close. It's not that far away. So I was excited to talk to Shane, kind of about the European tour, uh, European team, and the American team, where they're at, what directions we think they're going with the bottom half of their roster. We're at the point where there are some locks. Um, before we get to that. What I wanted to talk about in this intro is the preposterousness of the travelers. And um, there's an ESPN or an Associated Press report about the travelers making course changes after record low scoring. So there's rain. There wasn't a lot of weather. um, So the course was soft and it wasn't windy or anything. And uh, guys lit it up. Keegan Bradley shot a course record, uh, you know, like a tournament record, uh, 23 under, which was a shot better than Kenny Perry in 2009. Um, there were eight rounds of 62 or better during the week. Uh, and now they, they say they need to make course changes. This is just like the inanity of professional golf. And, uh, Andy Bissett, who is a executive vice president at Travelers and really a driving force. He's a, he's a great guy. I think he's, you know, 
done a lot to revamp this tournament and make it a great tournament. But, you know, got running down after record scoring and, and demanding course changes, we're completely missing the boat here. I think, like, obviously, technology is the reason that this golf course has been completely rendered, you know, undefensible. And, you know, let's be real. Not every golf course is going to be a U.S. Open setup. Not every golf course is going to be stout. This golf course does actually lend itself to some variety. We saw some short hitters have a chance for, you know, once. Um, so Bissett wants changes. <laughs> he allegedly has talked to, like, some of the players and is soliciting feedback from players, which I'm sure will be narrow fairways, more water hazards, other things. Um, you know... One player vociferously was on the other side, um, and I think this is probably the bullet here. Uh, Rory McIlroy said, I don't particularly like when a tournament is like this. Unfortunately, technology has passed this course by, right? It sort of has made it obsolete, especially as soft as it's been with little bit of rain that we had. So again, like the conversations going back to, you know, limiting the golf ball and stuff like that. When we come to courses like this, they just don't present the challenge they used to. So McElroy went on to say he wasn't a fan of the idea of just making fairways narrower and roughs rougher that bunches everyone together. The blueprint is something like Los Angeles Country Club, where the U.S. Open was held, where you can have wide targets, but if you miss, it's penal. Another course that has that in common, Augusta National, just for the record. This isn't that sort of golf course. It's not that sort of layout. It doesn't have the land to do that. So, you know, unfortunately, when it gets soft conditions like this, you've got the best players in the world. This is what's going to happen. I think, I think the second half of that statement is really telling. Uh, it goes back to what I was just talking about with New York golf. Like A lot of places don't have the necessary ingredients to present a modern test. You need immense length. You need some terrain. You need wind. You need firmness to really test these great players today. LACC, after the first round, was a, was a tremendous test of golf. Augusta National every year is a test of golf. But those courses... I mean, Shinnecock, you could throw in here too. Tremendous test of golf. They have topography. They have elements. They have really undulating greens. They have firm conditions for the for some part. You know, Augusta obviously has the sub air. They also have brilliant design. And I don't think anybody is going to River Highlands and saying that's a brilliant design. So let's just, you know, I think one of the things that, you know, the second half is there's only a handful of horses that are going to present a really stern test to the world's best players, and most of them do not want to host an annual event. So let's get back to how could, what's the easiest way for a golf course to present a better test to these pros? The golf ball going a shorter distance. All of a sudden, then, it's not just a wedge fest. It's not just driver wedge, driver seven iron onto par fives. If the golf ball goes shorter, it will present a different test. This trip in New York I uh, was the first trip I played, or first golf I played really with modern golf clubs in a uh, 
probably about a year. And I was just, I was shocked at how I hadn't played in a month uh, and I've been nursing a bad neck. And I was just shocked at how well I was able to play when I was playing so poorly, if that makes sense. And, you know, when you can just hit a driver up and really get yourself a wedge into almost any hole or a short iron, it makes golf so much easier. There are just so few things that can go wrong. Um, having played persimmon and the old blades, I I was routinely hitting six irons and more into par fours. You know, a 260-yard drive with the persimmon was a good drive. If it was wet at all, the ball went nowhere. If it was firm, I could hit it 300. But if it was wet, the ball just doesn't go very far with a persimmon driver. Um, you were kind. I was kind of relying on a knuckleball out there. And I think that's the thing here is that we got to stop listening to players. Inherently, players want nothing to change. And I understand that. That's like the salesperson not wanting any commission structure changed. Um, we need to look at other stakeholders that have vested interest in, in the game. Like, hey, I, I cover golf architecture. Changes are good for me. That gives me stuff to talk about, right? Um, changes are great for golf architects. If, if courses constantly have to modify because of technology, golf architects get rich. How come they are the ones that are maybe the most adamant about rolling the ball back? That's not good for their business. It's not like they're going to build new tees or do these other projects that to modernize nice golf courses. Look at what's going on at Oakmont. You know, they're doing a bunker renovation, but part of it is just they're embarrassed by what happened at the USAM with guys playing down other fairways. You know, these there are changes that are being made to golf courses because of what's happening at the ultra, ultra elite. It's millions and millions of dollars being spent to do this. The Travelers, TPC River Highlands, it looks like they're going to make modifications. Those are going to cost exorbitant amounts of money. This is not cheap stuff. Rolling the ball back. Yeah, these manufacturers who have made, you know, millions and billions of dollars on on the game of golf for for years are going to have to put a little bit of time and money into R&D. They already have golf balls made. You know, they've already done that. They've been waiting for this. And guess what? They have another product to sell. People are going to use these golf balls. It's just silly that golf courses are the ones that are constantly having to adapt when the game is broken because of the technology. I don't know. I just think this is this is a ridiculous time. Uh, the players have been pretty adamant against the rollback. I understand why. I understand why. But it's important to look at other people with vested interest in the game. So I think Rory has it right on here. Um, I think LACC was a blueprint, and that's a whole other thing. But there are very few places with the natural gifts that LACC has. And for a course like TPC River Highlands, you have to have the perfect storm of breezy, dry, firm conditions to present any sort of a test for these great players. And that's, you know, that's the same story as this week in Detroit. It's the same story as next week when they go to Minneapolis. It's the same story for almost every golf course on the PGA Tour calendar. So 
Should we change all the courses on the PGA Tour schedule? Should we just change 24 courses? Or should we just do something really simple and change the equipment? Um, these guys will adapt. If you, I can attest, like, if you play well with old equipment or, or lesser equipment, you still play well. It's not like you just will magically have lose the ability to shoot under par. It's not like your skills diminish and vanish away. You still can play well. It just shows when you don't play well more. And I think that's what we want as golf fans. We want to see players overcome challenges. That's what makes the majors so compelling. And all these events, and this is what the PGA Tour needs to understand, What makes golf compelling is not 400-yard drives. It's the idea of overcoming and doing something unbelievable. And the more challenging the game is, the more compelling the theater will be. All right, here's to Shane Bacon, and uh, we're going to talk Ryder Cup as well as him playing in the Ike and having a great finish in the the MGA event in New York uh, area. So thanks, Shane. Shane, welcome back on. I, uh, you know, I'm excited to talk about Ryder Cup. We, uh, well, that's what we're planning to talk about today. But I gotta uh, commend you. You're doing the midams right. You played the Ike, uh, a big metropolitan golf association, the Met, one of the great golf associations in the in the country. You played their Ike amateur event. You're you're dealing with college kids, juniors. He came out with a with a very Ke- Kevin Streelman like backdoor top ten t seven with a sixty six on uh, in the final round. I mean, the sixty six is super impressive. It was the back end of thirty six holes walking. You 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 must have just been humming. Yeah, I was. Uh, I didn't play great in the morning. Um, you know, it was in my home course, and I don't know. I don't know how you feel about this, Andy, but sometimes the the home course advantage actually add stress. It's I don't think it's the home course like, advantage at all. I think it's harder. Yeah. I mean, you just, cause you're playing a golf course, you play stress-free 99% of the time. And all of a sudden the easy shots become a little bit harder. And I got off to like a red hot start in the first round. I think I was three under through my first seven and it was just kind of, here we go. And then made some bogeys late, but yeah, the, the second round I made the cut, which was obviously goal number one and played okay in the second round which was, I guess, Tuesday morning, and birdied 18. So I made like a 25-footer in my last hole to shoot 71. And I don't know, it was one of those things, like I made that putt, and I told my dad was out here watching, and I said, I said, you know, all I want to do is shoot in the 60s. Like, that's my goal for this afternoon. And it's weird, Andy, when you drive it great and make putts, uh, you can play well. And I drove it great in the afternoon and made a lot of putts. And, uh, and yeah, I had like a 12-footer on the last hole for 65 down the hill. And all I could tell myself was I'd love to make this, but I don't want to stress over a four footer coming back up the hill. Like I've already stressed enough today. Like if I make it great, but if I don't, cause a top 10 in that event gets you in the med am. And I think that's at Friars. And I think it might get you in the med open. So I knew I was right around that number. And so, yeah, I was, uh, I would have been happy with 65, but I was very happy with 66. Shane, you just described the uh, the difference between a PGA Tour player and a mid-am yes. right there, fretting about a four-footer. That's uh, you get under par. Up the hill. You get under par. 
<laughs> and it's uh, you're snorkeling. You're not you're not scuba diving. You're snorkeling. You're afraid to go too far down and in, in the water have the water rush into your snorkel. Uh, that is the difference right there. Yeah, I, w- I was just I had uh, I had Zach Blair on the Get a Grip podcast we posted um, on Thursday, and we were talking about you know obviously he went low on Sunday at the Travelers, and I was asking him about this exact thing because you know there's that fear of low that 99% of golfers have. And there are some golfers that once they get four or five under, they're trying to get to seven, they're trying to get to eight. And I had a great shot into 18. I mean, my last hole was 12, or sorry, my last hole was 11, uh, par five. I laid up, I hit a nine iron in there to about 10 feet. But again, I knew that putt was fast and I knew it went away from me. And again, I, I just didn't want a three putt. You know, I was like, I'm happy with the two putt. And most professional golfers are trying to ram that in the back and, and shoot 65, not 66. Wait, was that a, um, was it a shotgun start? No, uh, at Brooklawn, it's almost like Olympic club. Uh, 10 is about as far away from the clubhouse as you can get. So he did uh 12 T one T. Okay. That makes sense. I, I, uh, I was curious that when you said that, it was like- Andy, the, the first round we played, um, one of the guys goes, man, we played the front nine real fast. I was like, well, we played seven holes. <laughs> we, we only played seven. We didn't play nine. I was looking at your first car or your first round card. I thought you had just like a flurry finish with birdies, yeah, no, but it was, no, it was, that was, uh, the, the, I, I, I was super played. impressed. Yeah. I was super impressed. Oh, I thought, I thought you just, you just had this flurry of a finish to make the cut. I would say, I think like, um, I feel like when you're playing as a mid-am in these, these events that I think like one of the things you, you play with college golfers and the thing that I always used to feel was like, okay, I can contend, I can compete with them tee to green. But when they miss a green, the short games are just out of this world. So good. I mean, no, no fear at all. Totally agree. And it's like they just like they'll be you'll you'll watch them and you're like, oh, they're in a that's a terrible place. They just hit it into like short sided over a green, like a slope running away. And they hit this flop to like 18 inches. And you're like, how did how did they do that? You know, it's like so I always felt like that. And it's like. I kind of had a similar goal always was like, you know, if I'm playing in a state am, it's like make the cut. If I make the cut, I'm really happy because that makes me feel totally. like, you know what? Like I'm not, I'm not grinding. Like these guys are grinding. And it's it, so I, congratulations. That's uh and exemptions are God, just not having to qualify is like the greatest feeling in the world. <laughs> yeah. But a buddy of mine uh, that, that knows the area very well, sent me a text uh, when I finished up and he went great playing. Now you don't have to qualify, which is the worst thing in the world. And I was like, I trust me. I totally understand. I, I'm back out against the college kids. I think next week, Andy, I've got a U.S. amateur qualifier. Oh, so where at? 36 holes. I'll, uh, I don't know. Let me look actually, but, um, it's, uh, it's 36 holes. And, uh, I will say this, I told my wife this cause you know, Cindy's not a, a, a golfer at all. And she listens to my golf stories, uh, even though she probably doesn't totally care that much about what I'm saying. Um, but I was just telling her how it's at Bonnie Briar oh. Country Club. I think uh, is pretty close to my house. Let's see. Yeah, it's in a. Yeah, it's not too far. But um, I was just telling her that I needed that round in my tournament resume because I haven't shot a round like that in a long time, and it's just a reminder to myself that I can do it. You know, and it's not. You know, it's you're not earning money. You're not. You know, I mean, they're not really giving you a trophy or anything like that. But to remind yourself that if you do get it rolling, you can shoot you know, a sub 68 round is, uh, is important considering I've got a few tournaments left on the, on the schedule. So 
fun week. Always nice when you actually do something good in golf. It doesn't happen all the time. Yeah, well, that's that's what uh, uh, when I qualified for the Mid Am a few years ago, a good friend of mine, uh, Stonewall, right? Yeah, is that the one? Yeah, yeah. It was, and then I said I was never not going to qualify, and I think I've tried to qualify one time since. You know, so so it's, it's life right there. It's an encapsulation of uh, of your li- of personal life stuff. Um, but um, what my friend said to me, I so I I qualified, I birdied, uh, I think three of the last four. Um, and and the year before I had had like the complete opposite finish where I I was definitely in, and I just kind of shit the bed down the stretch and my buddy buddy i was talking to a a day or two after he said you know you got to uh you got to hang on to this moment because it's it's your one percent time you know it's like golf kills you 99 percent of the time and you just have to hold on to those one percent moments where you actually won you know and it's like i i i always think about that it's like it's so true and you think about you think about like major championships, right? Like you think about the last one at LACC, the guys like, you know, Rory or Ricky, like they, they come out of that. And even Scotty, I think Scotty's in the same, they feel like it was a failure and it's like, God, right. they were, you beat, you beat 153 guys or whatever the number of was in the field. You just didn't beat one guy. You know? And it's a failure. And that's the the thing that makes the sport so maddening and probably makes you come back so much. Yeah. I mean, uh, they they give one trophy out. I remember on the old show I used to do, we did um, winners that didn't win every week, like on Mondays, because it's so easy to talk about the person that won the event. Right. I mean, that's we focus. It's weird, Andy. I mean, we focus on, you know, you and Brendan do this on Mondays. Right. You talk about who won. And then come Wednesday, when you guys do the, the podcast on Wednesday, you're over it. It's not a conversation anymore, right? You're not bringing up the person that won, but those celebratory moments for the dude that shot 66 in the final round or Rory who gets another top three in a major championship, it doesn't feel like a victory to those players, yet there are things to celebrate. I mean, the Scotty run we're on, I know Kyle Porter's been pounding this on Twitter, but this run he's been on, we should be celebrating it even though he's not taking home the trophies because the play is so incredibly consistent and he's beating almost everybody in the world. He's just coming up short against one or two names every time. Yeah. <clears throat> it's, uh, it's crazy. It's, it's just his, his golf. I think like, I always think about what tiger used to talk about and it was always about consistency. And right now he's on a run. That's very tiger. Like, I don't think he's piled up the wins, but he's been so close, but like the consistency here, like beating basically everybody in, in the field outside of a couple people every single week for a year almost now is insane. Um, one last thing, I just have to commend the Met. I'm looking at the schedule. And um oh, it's un it's unbelievable, dude. I, I think it's it's a combination of of the clubs and and the golf association. Um living somewhere where like we're playing state ams at public golf courses and and when I was playing in Chicago and, and basically, you know, just disappointing tournament venues. Um, it is unbelievable to see a golf association and the clubs in it appreciate amateur golf and, and professional golf at the Met open level. I mean, so just running through, you just played it at Brooklawn, great AW Tillinghast course in, in Connecticut. You got the Met, 
am, as you said, at Friar's Head um, in the discussion of greatest uh, modern golf courses ever built, you know? And then you've got the Met Open at Arcola that got rave reviews during the USAM last year. I mean, you just go through this and it's just unbelievable where you play. You got the Mid-Am at Country Club of Fairfield. I mean... It's uh, it's awesome. It's awesome to see a, a golf course, and you know, I'm I'm envious of. I think like the thing people realize uh, don't don't think about is like I'm envious of the juniors, and you talk about like what a great environment, great great tournaments to grow up and and cut your teeth on. You know, like if you get a kid that qualifies for that that Medam who's 16, and you get go play Friars Head for a few days, that's going to prepare you. Um, and, and you're going to take away so much from that experience. So really cool, really cool, uh, golf association and, um, and props to all the courses for sharing. Um, I think that's the thing. I I think that's, that's a good point, Andy, is the golf courses. I mean, obviously I'm a member of Brookline, but to see how proud, you know, our head pro and, and a lot of the members that were a big part of the week, how proud they were of the event and being able to host it and how it feels very big. You know, I mean, I was obviously getting an opportunity to broadcast a lot of the USGA championships for a few years. And every time you go to a U.S. junior or a girls junior or a Curtis Cup, I mean, these events feel enormous to the club because they're so proud to be able to host them. And these Met events feel very, very similar for both the Met and the the golf courses that are hosting. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. Shout out to them. And also shout out to their social team. They do an unbelievable job of like photos and videos and storytelling it's easy not to focus on things like that but you know me just kind of scrolling through it uh throughout the week and them you know really carrying I mean one day we signed the scorecards they said hey will you come over we're doing every player says one word about the tilling has screens here you know and they cut it together in this beautiful video I know you're a fan of a very well put together videos I mean they do a hell of a job so I was uh very impressed with the way they went about their business Now for a quick word from our sponsor, Gooder. I love Gooder. They are sunglasses. They are uh, affordable sunglasses. I, for my life, I was a purchaser of, you know, hundred plus dollar sunglasses, and I would live life with fear, and uh, I was going to lose them, you know, or I was going to scratch them, or they were going to break, or I was on a boat and they'd fall off, or you know, I was, you know, all these things I was scared of. Um, for the last year and a half since Gooder has been a partner, I have been uh, I've been living carefree with my sunglasses. These are you know twenty five dollars a pair. They start at, and they are awesome. They're lightweight and comfortable. They are polarized, which is one of the things that I liked about the expensive sunglasses. Classes. They're stylish, and one of the great things about them being twenty five dollars, you can buy a bunch of different styles and you can try stuff out. You don't have to just have one. Um, if you are into running or golf or active events where you might sw- sweat or you might be going up and down, these don't bounce or slip, and they're super easy to clean. So if you are interested in getting some stylish, affordable sunglasses, then go to gooder.com slash TFE. That's gooder.com. That's G-O-O-D-R dot com slash T-F-E and you will get free shipping 
with your order. So free shipping at gooder.com slash TFE. Thank you to them for sponsoring the show and being a longtime partner. Now back to Shane Bacon. All right. Let's talk about the the Ryder Cup. It's, it's, That's this year, right? Yeah. It's kind of like, I feel like with everything going on in golf, with I didn't really want to talk about the framework uh, with, uh, you know, but which isn't a ton of, you know, new stuff. But like with everything going on in golf, I, in a weird way, it feels like the Ryder Cup's kind of under the radar right now. Yeah, yeah. It it feels a little bit like Colin Morikawa at majors right now where you're like, oh, yeah, Morikawa's in the field. You know, I just feel like you never really hear his name brought up in preview stuff. And, uh, oh, yeah, it's a Ryder Cup year. It's in Italy. Here we go. Yeah. So um, with that in mind, you know, we're we're kind of in crunch time. I feel, you know, again, we got one major left and we got the FedEx Cup and then the teams are picked. So, you know, really, like not a lot of guys are, are going to be playing. Um, in these next coming weeks, I mean, the, the Scottish Open will be a big event. And I think there's questions uh, on each team, big looming questions um, for each team. And it's, you know, you think about where we left Whistling Straits. We left Whistling Straits like the U.S. teams never going to lose one of these. You know, again, that's what what everybody's saying. And now we get to this point, And I think like you look at it and I think the the last year in a way has been a little bit more friendly to the Europeans than the, than the U S team. And I'm, I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that overarching thesis. Yeah. I mean, I, I was kind of going through both squads. Cause I, I mean, I don't know if you, I'm sure you have a list written down. I mean, it looks like to me, it feels like 10 guys are kind of on the American team and the European team is a little bit more up in the air. Um, the interesting part about the European team is I was, Going into kind of dissecting both squads, I felt like this European team is an extreme underdog, right? Kind of going into what we're thinking about. And as I started to dive into it, I feel like there's a little bit more fun if you were the European captain in terms of how you could put your team together. It feels almost like, you know, the maybe the American squad from eight years ago where Jordan was popping up and Ricky was kind of on the radar, yet there were still some veterans you could piece together. And so... I feel like if you asked any golf fan who's going to win this, nine out of 10 are going to say the Americans. But I feel like there's an opportunity here for this European squad to just be a little bit more fun and a little bit younger. I didn't expect to see this potentially young European team that we might see, you know, in a couple of months in Italy versus a little bit more experience on the American side, which, in my opinion, experience in the Ryder Cup and President's Cup has proved to be a little bit more overrated over the last, you know, 10 or 15 years. Yeah, I think that there's um a little bit of when youth brings um you're almost naive, right? And it brings totally. like a exuberance and energy to team room. And I think um you know, one of the things with the with the Europeans was they had those that great stalwarts, uh, you know, of past, you know, the the guys that anchored so much success. But as they got older, I think they they kind of were more resting on their laurels here. And I think, um, you know, to start, I mean, I think the big question with the European t- team, and we can start here, is who fills out the roster? How do they go about filling out this roster? To me, there are seven, without a doubt, 
locks without a doubt. Probably eight if you, th- but seven are Rom, Rory, Hovland, Hatton, Fleetwood, Shane Lowry, and Matt Fitzpatrick. And I think you throw Justin Rose in there. Yeah, I have. I had. I had Rose on mine. That that was the exact list I have. Eight players automatically going to be on this team unless somebody gets injured. And so basically, there are four spots up for grabs. And when you look at those four names, Andy, it is an extremely European group of players. Yeah, and I like. I think like you know, the thing here is like what sometimes what makes a great Ryder Cup player isn't necessarily like who's the best player in the world. Like obviously that's a very easy way to look at it. But like one name that I think is going to be on the team is Adrian Marunk. You know what Adrian Marunk does? He makes a shit ton of birdies. You know, that's good in match play. (laughs) Which plays well in match play. Like one of the number one, the stats that we always look at, you know, if you look at how they do in the match play in Austin, throw that out. We've obviously realized that that's not proved to be any, any sort of an, uh, kind of an, an accurate read of who's going to be successful in Ryder Cups. But if you make a lot of birdies, that always plays. It plays very well because one of the formats, Andy, I don't know if you knew this or not, is best score wins the hole. And birdies win a lot of holes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. So, like, if we start to just go down some names, I have, I have some names written out here. You got Marunk. You got Victor yep. Perez. Yannick Paul is yep. third in points. He's on the team. <laughs> He's if it ended now, Yannick Paul would be on the team. He is. I did some notes on him, Andy. He has played in two majors. Okay, yeah. In his career, he's 29. He's 101st in the world. He's played. I would say fine this year would be the term I'd use to to present his resume. He's got three top three finishes and four top tens for the season, and he's won once on the DP World Tour, and that is it. And again, if we pick teams right now. He would be on the squad. He's so just so everybody knows, he's third on European points list. So the way the Ryder Cup works is that <laughs> three from the right the European <laughs> points list, three from the world points list. So he is on the team. I I do know like a little bit of Yannick Paul facts. He absolutely obliterates the golf ball. I know. But I mean, Andy, can I say this? That's just something you just say about everybody now. Like when you talk about anybody that's under the age of 45 as a professional golfer, they all hit it hard. They all hit it far. Like nobody's bunning it around, I feel like, anymore. I mean, yeah, he can kill it, but ZB, I mean, he seems. ZB, uh, he'll say he bonds it, but yeah, he might be bouncing around a little bit. Chaz, <laughs> the Travelers was the week for the uh, for the bunters. Oh, it's a it's a bunt spot. It's a lay it down the third base line and see if you can outrun it. I mean, it's squeeze the guy over to, you know, squeeze him over. Let's just sacrifice bunt it all day long and make your birdies. But yeah, um, I was wondering about this with you because you and I always joke about the FedEx Cup and how we don't understand what a point means or like you, you I, I saw you on Twitter like, how many points does Zach need? What is 270? What is 300? Like nobody knows. I don't understand why they don't just make one FedEx Cup point the same equivalent of a dollar. It makes no sense to me. But I feel like the European Ryder Cup team is trying really hard to be slightly more complicated than a FedEx Cup. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I think almost every point. I mean, what about the race to Dubai? Yeah, Tavistock Cup was confusing. Like, why is everything confusing? Why can't we just, when you go to, if you go to RyderCup.com right now and you click on the European standings, there are two things you have to click between to see who's going to qualify. And the weird part is 
the players that qualify on the European points list aren't highlighted on the world points list, which then you're wait, you're like, wait, oh no, Rory's on wait, he's on the team, but he's not. I mean, it's so strange. I don't understand how this isn't simplified. Feels like it should be a very, very easy process, but Again, I digress all the time with golf. We're going to get some Europeans that are saying it's not that complicated, but it is. It is complicated. We're, we're a couple of idiots, by the way, just but, for everybody out there. But so we don't know. One stuff. thing about the FedEx Cup, and I'm, I'm going to die on this hill. And I think the problem, okay. we've had this, we've had the FedEx Cup for so long. And I think the problem is, is that P, the, the PGA Tour hasn't ever explained it. Like there, there's never been a framing of what 270 points is. Like if you threw a couple examples out, like 270 points is four top tens or 270. Here's a couple ways that Zach Blair could get to 270 points. You know, this was, <laughs> this was a whole basis of this thing. It's like ZB needs 270 points to retain his card in eight starts. Well, like, Give people some examples of how 270 points is earned. Right. Is that impo- is that impossible or is that like relatively attainable? Does he need two top 20s and a top 10 or does he need to win three events? Like I wouldn't be able to tell you that in a million years. I feel like now that ZB did it, I now kind of understand that second alone in a designated event would have got him to that point. But even finding it online, Andy, took me multiple Google clicks like when I was kind of doing that, it was hard to find. So anyways, like this is, you need to make this like (laughs) currency, right? Like if you said to me, Hey, I'm going to give you 4,000 of Kenya's currency. I don't, I'm sorry. I don't know what that is. If I'm going to give you 4,000 of whatever Kenya's currency is, I would be like, um, okay, that's great. I have no clue what that means, you know? But if you said, I'm going to give you 4,000 of Kenya's currency, and that's equivalent to X amount of American dollars. I'd be like, oh, great. Right. <laughs> it's called, a, I looked it up. It's a Kenya shilling, and one Kenya shilling is $0.0071. All you got to do is you type that into Google, and it tells you right away. Imagine if that was just the simplified version of golf rankings. But again, this isn't, I don't think this conversation was meant to be FedEx Cup confusion, but I do laugh very hard when I pulled up the European standings last night and went, there are two tabs here? What is happening? Yes. So there just needs to be conversions associated with this. You have to you have to make this approachable for the lay person. Right. Um totally. So I cover so, the sport look- and people are like, it's embarrassing you don't know what 270 FedEx Cup points is. <laughs> And I, somebody said that to me. It's embarrassing that you don't know. Is is it embarrassing for me? Is it really embarrassing for me, or is it embarrassing for the for the the person that that administers the FedEx Cup points? Who's the, it? Might be embarrassing for me. I think it's more embarrassing for the FedEx Cup. You know, I have a general can, idea that like five hundred points goes to first, three hundred goes to second. Like I know that, but I don't know anything past like the top three. And, and you don't know which events those fall into. Um, I know we were talking about the European team, and you know I we just I'd got down completely kind of, derailed. It's okay. No, we're we're back. We're back. So the I feel like a big part of what's going to happen over the next couple of months with the European side is the decision for Luke Donald to go young or to go old. Because we saw the last Ryder Cup, the decision was to go old. It was to go veteran, and I feel like you can either lean heavily into going young. 
and it can feel very much like that Ryder Cup, what, 10 years ago where Ricky was picked. And, you know, I, I remember, what was it, Ryan Moore was on the team. Like, it felt like Americans were trying to go young. And you can go with experience or you can go with youth. And I feel like, at least, I think you would probably agree with this, it feels like it makes way more sense to go young if no other reason than to give these players a little bit of experience, considering the last four spots are so up for grabs. And I feel like if you're Luke Donald, you have a serious case to lean into Podrick Harrington as a pick. Okay. <laughs> he's 51 years old. He's played five Bombing PJ Tour ball. events this he listen, he's played five PJ Tour events this year. He's made all five cuts. He had a top ten at the Texas Open, tied for 27th at the US Open. He's played seven events on the senior tour. He has a win, two seconds five top fives and you stole my line about bombing it Andy he's averaging 304.5 yards per drive on the champs tour that would have him tied with Tony Finau on the PGA tour at 53rd in driving distance he hits it plenty far he's obviously been playing some excellent golf he still puts all the work in the world into it so you could go Podrick way and you could lean into maybe Sergio or I think you go Ludwig and Dumont de Chazart, and you just let them at least get a little bit of experience here and see if they can play on that type of stage because it feels like they can at this point, Andy. Yeah, I think, I mean, you, you have to think Marunk and Victor Perez are probably going to be on the team. Okay, so that's 10. That's 10, so there's two spots left. Yeah, and, and I think to your to your point, like Sergio's a big question. It's, it seems like uh, Rory and him have mended some fences. Uh, in the last two weeks, I think like Sergio of all the guys that went to live, you got Thomas Peters and Sergio are the two that would be potential picks. And I think Sergio is the one like you're talking about arguably the greatest Ryder cup player of all time. And I mean, him and Monty, I would say, honestly, it's between him and I think Colin Montgomery and I, th- I think like Savvy could probably put in there too. Poulter in yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's funny that all of all of the names that come to mind are Europeans. It's, it's definitely not JJ Henry. No, no. Brett Wetter. Um, but uh, the that that's the thing. Like, I think that's like the first big question. Right. And if you if you take Sergio, then it, you know, kind of leaves like one spot. Right. Yeah, I mean, maybe Yannick Paul qualifies on points too. Like, I think like the back half of this is like, I think Marunk's in. You know, I don't think you're. You know, maybe Victor Perez, you could qualm about whether he's in or not. But Marunk's probably in. I think he's done a lot. His body of work. He's fourth in the European tour, tour points list. So like, you, Sergio is a big question, and I don't, I don't think they're going to do it because like, what has he done? He's he's done nothing, and I think that the other question is, and again, I think what's worked so well for the Americans as of late in these team events is where's the continuity to the team? And I'm not necessarily talking about the pod system. I'm just simply thinking who's playing with whom, right? If you're Sergio and you look at Rory and Rom, and that's kind of the list, in my opinion, on who would play with them, and you go, are you guys, do you guys want Sergio? Because to me, the and we'll get to the Americans in a minute, but to me, the American side is kind of co-captained by Jordan and Justin. That's what it feels like over the last few years. And I feel like if you're leaning on the European side, they're probably doing something similar with Rory and John. Who do you guys want? Who do you guys want to play with? And does this make sense for the betterment of this team? Because if we've learned anything in sport, it's chemistry matters. 
and we've learned anything on the Ryder Cup, especially more than the President's Cup, is chemistry is so important for the team room. And I mean, I mean, Jordan Spieth and Scotty were on No Laying Up with Solly the other day, and Jordan almost laughed when Solly asked the question about the first Ryder Cup team room he played in versus what they saw at Whistling Straits, because the dynamic is so different. These guys want to have fun. They want to enjoy each other's company. They don't want any drama. Like you're not going to see Patrick Reed and Bryson probably any on any of these teams ever again, because they simply just don't want that drama in the team room. And on the European side, who's going to play with whom and who's the most comfortable pairing up. And if there's not a teammate, if you will, for Sergio, then he's not on the team. Well, I would, I would say based off of John Rahm's comments, that would be, you know, maybe Sergio's on the team just because to appease Rom. He wants him on the team, right? He's talked about it. You know, he wants Sergio on the team. The problem is he's not a European tour member anymore. He's got these fines that he hasn't paid allegedly, or it might be Westy with the fines, but, but either way, the, you know, it's, it's an interesting situation, right? Sergio, I think is probably, uh, it's a fascinating conundrum that they're in. And, you know, do you damage your chemistry if you don't have him on the team because Rom's unhappy? Um, right. You know, I think there are some other, like, there's always these great Spanish pairings and probably it's probably a little bit too much is made of those. You know, you have some other, you have uh, Jorge Campillo and, and uh, Larathabal and Otagwe. All those guys have played pretty well. Um, you know, those could be guys that fill in that void of, of the second Spanish player. Um, I don't know how important that really is. I think Alex Noren's another one name that is is out there. If you went older, um, I it, it's it's interesting. A few other young names that you haven't mentioned, and I think like here's a question: like, do you go with like if you want to go youth, do you go with Aberg or or Adrian Dumont Dechessart? I mean, uh, Adrian's playing on the Corn Ferry Tour. I think that's like a very right. hard. I don't think that that's a feasible selection like again in the european tour membership is the other component of it ludwig i mean unless he does something remarkable you know i think we need to just like reset on on ludwig um let's just think about what john rom did in his first few starts <laughs> what i know you know what kyle morikawa in and i think hovland hovland an interesting comparison is he is that like Hovland had to, you know, he he went to Corn Ferry Finals, right? But like Ludwig has a card, right? This wasn't available to other great AMs that were coming out, right? He's a hard comp because of this. Yeah, right? like Scotty had to go to the Corn Ferry Tour. And he played great on the Corn Ferry Tour, but Ludwig has an interesting, but he has, you know, he's he's played well, but he hasn't done anything. Like if we see him go gangbusters, I think you could pick him because like has he done anything remarkably better than the Hogarts? Has he done anything rem- or like Thomas Dietrich's been a really solid player for a couple years on the European tour and now the PGA tour player? Is he, you know, is he markedly better than those guys if you want to go young, right? Right now. You know, he might be in a year or two, he might be right now better. But like I think that's a big question mark and obviously then you hit on Harrington. That's like I mean, I think that's they could go young or old. Your your question is a great point. What what would you do? Would you go young? I I mean, honestly, I would pick Podrick. 
J- just because he's been playing excellent golf, and I just feel like you're putting him in a position to have one last run at something substantial. And, and I just could see him leaning heavily into that. If we've learned anything about Ponder Carrington in his career, he's played very, very well at the biggest of stages. And I feel like he's trending in that direction. I, I remember asking, uh, I, I remember asking Longer this a couple of years ago on TV. Said, do you think you could still play a Ryder Cup? And he said, absolutely. You know, these guys still believe in themselves. The one issue is speed, distance, and Podrick hasn't really lost much of that. And he's been incredibly consistent on both tours. I just feel like that stuff carries over. And I could see him being, I could see him playing with like Shane Lowry, you know, and them going out there and like being scary together. You know, he's not going to be intimidated by the young players. And imagine I think I think there's actually like an impact of like, if he if he's out there like beating JT, that's demoralizing. That's what I'm like yes. he beat by a fifty one year old. Hey, that's what I was thinking. Is like the Americans are so young, Andy, that you're playing a fifty one year old, and it throws the dynamic off. I remember years ago, I was playing a club championship, and I was playing match play, and the guy I was playing against made bogey on this hole, and I'd hit it about three feet above the hole for birdie. Okay, three footer, and he didn't give it to me. Now I have to two putt for par to win the hole. And I remember it really being kind of screwing with my brain because I was thinking to myself, have you ever had the two putt a three footer? And I kind of tapped it and it rolled down and it stopped on the lip and he gave it to me. And I remember thinking to myself as I walked to the next tee, that was brilliant by the guy I was playing because it made me change the way I was thinking on the golf course, at least for a moment. And if you're Justin Thomas and you're on the seventh hole and you're two down to Padraig Harrington, it's not just that you're two down to somebody on the European team. It's you're two down to a guy that's playing on the champs tour. And I'm with you. I think that does a lot different things than if he's two down to Ludwig, you know? Yeah, I, uh, I, I agree. I, it's just, um, there's something there. I think in the, there's like two invigorating spirits, right? If you, if you go youth, there's like a, an energy there, but I think there's equally an energy for a 51 year old if they're playing because they know it's their last one and they, and he hasn't done it in a long time. That's the thing. Right. Like you worry about Westie's nerves out there, but I don't think you have to worry about like the old nerves nope. of, of Harrington just from everything we've seen. I mean, he almost people forget he finished like fourth at Kiowa. Right. Two years ago at the PGA, he was like in the hunt. Yeah. I mean, it was unbelievable. I mean, everybody obviously focuses on Phil because he became the oldest major winner, but Podrick was right there. I have a bonus European tour question for you, Andy. All right. What do you think Molinari has to do to, to get picked? <laughs> I, I'm assuming I mean, he's when this win. was announced. He's got to win like a, an event and contend in three open, others. He has to win the Open. I think if he wins the Open, he gets in. He's been terrible, but I'm assuming when this was announced, they really felt like yes. he would probably make the team. I mean, think about four years ago. It was I, I had down here like who's gonna be the Ryder Cup darling? And it's like last year or last Ryder Cup, it was Scotty Scheffler, right? He was the darling and it just launched him. I think it was, you know, probably helped him launch into this player he's become where he's I mean, it's crazy. John Rahm's won five times this year, and and I think the general sentiment is Sky Scheffler's the best player in the world. Right, right. It's insane. It's absolutely nuts that that's the case. That's where we are with golf. But you know, you have to. You, I think you go tie it back, and it and it's funny because like you know, Rahm's four has gone four. I think he was four and zero, 
and then he's, you know, it's the only hope. He's out early, and he just gets absolutely steamrolled by Scheffler. I mean, it, it was, I think he was four down through four. I remember that was the match I was out watching, and I'm like, what is going on? You know, um, and uh, and I think so you go to that. And then if you go to the next Ryder Cup, darling, in France, it was Mo- Mollywood. It was Fleetwood Mollywood. Do they they were un- did, were they undefeated or was one of them undefeated? I think they both were. I think one of them tied, if I remember correctly. OK, um, but and one of them because because DJ was five and oh last Ryder Cup. Mm-hmm. And that was like one of the few times that's ever happened. But I think both of them were like you said, I don't think either of them lost a match. I think they had played four matches, though. I think they sat out okay. one. Um, so I think that's the most fascinating thing. The bottom part of the European um, roster is th- is the fascinating aspect of it. If we want to transition over to the U.S. team, I don't think it's quite as interesting. Um, Agreed. Because I think that like it would be really interesting. It would be fascinating if there weren't these like built-in, he's an auto pick because of who he is. But that's, I think, Agreed. And, and I think like what's maybe the compelling aspect of, of the U.S. team is the fact that they, are they becoming what they kind of evolved from? Are they turning, is history repeating itself? And is it this built-in buddies club? Because um, it feels like that. You have locks I have written down are Scheffler, Wyndham Clark, and Brooks Kepka. They're one through three in the standings. I just um, four through six are Xander, Cantley, and Homa. I think those guys are locks, pretty much. Would you agree with that? I only have one, I, they... I have one. I have one name of that list that I could potentially see not being on the team, but I'll get into that in a minute. Um, and then we go to like the next seven through twelve is Keegan, who has two wins in the in yep. the season and has been really consistent. Uh, Spieth, who is a lock. There's no way he's going to finish in the top 12 in points and not get picked. Agreed. Cam Young, not playing great, but in the, in the points discussion, you know, Sam Burns, who won the match play this year, JT and Morikawa are 11 and 12 on the bubble in terms of top 12 in points. But again, there's no way JT doesn't get picked, even though... He has not played good golf this year. And then you go into the into the rest of the list, like the next few guys in points. Denny McCarthy playing career year. Different yeah, not 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 gonna not gonna be on the different team. style player, best putter in the world. Um, Kurt Kitayama, great year. Ricky Fowler, interesting, fifteen. Uh Harris English, Tony Finau, and then I just threw in here DJ. Yeah. So D- even though DJ, even though DJ's behind Phil in terms of the point list, I think Phil's thirty-two and, and Dustin's thirty-three. I have, I have ten names that I'm confident will be on the team. All right, um, let's see them. I've got Scheffler, Wyndham, Brooks, Xander, Max, Cantley, Spieth, JT, Morikawa, and Dustin. I think that you think is, DJ's on the team. I think I think DJ will be on this team. I, I think most likely he's going to be on the team. But my first question I wrote down. You've already hinted on it. You've already touched on it a bit, Andy. But my first thing was, how much power does Justin and Jordan really have? Because, again, it feels like they're the captains, if you will, or playing captains or however you want to word it. They've taken over for the Tigers and the Phils of the Euro- of the American side. And for JT, it's about 
do you feel confident in your own game enough to say, I deserve to be on this team? Because he's played one good tournament basically in a year and a half, and that was the, the PGA he won last year. And then how much power do these guys have? You know who else they'd probably like to have on this team? Is Ricky Fowler. Yeah. He's apparently their friend. And Ricky's played great, and he's 16th on the points list. And if Jordan and Justin have the amount of power that I think they have in terms of picking this team, I think Ricky will be on the team if he plays even decent golf at the Scottish in the Open, right? So that's 11 names that I basically have. I have one spot up for grabs with the Keegans and the Burnses and the Youngs and Finau and Harris English because, again, I think Dustin's going to eventually make this team. And maybe you disagree with that, but I think the question's A, is JT playing good enough golf to where he can go up to Zach and go, I I can make this team and be an impact because right now he's not impactful. Well, His game is not. If you look at his stats, he's ele- everything's down. He's eleventh on the points list, and he's there because of last year's PGA. Right, right. I mean, it's it's because of one event he won, which is an enormous event, a major championship. But it was a year; it was over a year ago. And if you look at his finishes, they have been either weak or extraordinarily weak, especially in the big time events. I'm obviously not counting, you know, playing well at the Travelers when you know it's not really a tournament that we're going to kind of put next to the barometer of what it means to play well in the biggest events. It has didn't really feel necessarily like the designated events that we saw at Riv and the Waste Management, yada yada yada. I mean, JT, the only stat that he's he's done well in this year is around the greens, which probably lends to the ball striking being down, right? I mean, the ball striking has been very poor. He's driving it worse. The iron play isn't there. He's not putting it great. He has a fourth-place finish in Scottsdale thanks to a final round 65, finished tie for 10th at the Valspar, and tie for 9th at the Travelers. That doesn't scream to me Ryder Cup player, but again, Justin and Jordan, it feels like, run the team. So it's kind of up to Justin and Jordan to me if A, Justin makes the team, and B, if Ricky makes the team. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I think, like, you know, look at Denny McCarthy, who's uh, who's probably on the outside looking in. And you look at his year, right? He had a, uh, he was leading Pebble late. He was four, fourth place there. T14 at Genesis, T13 at the Players, big events. Uh he had a T8 at the Wells Fargo, another designated event where he is playing really well. Finished second at the Memorial, almost won that. Obviously lost in a playoff, um, had a chance to win there. T7th last week at the Travelers, T20th at the U.S. Open. You know, like that guy has played great golf. And I think one of the things that he, do- he brings to the table for the team is a different type of player. Now, like, this is where... The Americans, I, I don't I don't want to say they're in trouble, but I do think there is this this disease of becoming who they this is this is something that happens in society. It's like, you know, you you don't want to become your father or your you know, whatever, but you end up becoming your father, right? And I think that's the something that, that happens is like this whole system they displaced and you know, it's more merit based. It's not the old buddies club. That is the the thing that seems to be what this is going to turn into with with the current regime in place, right? You have these effectively figurative placeholder captains that are the same captains over and over and over again. And then you have the people calling the shots, which are Jordan and JT, which, you know, to be completely like honest, 
aren't two of the players that are are both of them aren't going to make it as a lock auto pick, which is kind of crazy. I mean, unless one of them wins the open, they're they're going to be captain's picks. I, I agree with you. So it's just a uh, it's a fascinating aspect. And and I think like one of the things that's interesting when you look at the American team after Whistling Straits, it was like they, these 11 guys. It was basically 11 guys in Harris English. Right. Yeah. You, you, you and I talked about this. You and I talked about this. We said, I mean, everybody's leaning into this. This is going to be the team again. And three or four of the names aren't going to yeah. be there. Like. Tony Finau is likely not going to be on this Ryder Cup team. Harris English is not going to be on this Ryder Cup Bryson team. Bryson isn't going to be on the on the Ryder right. Cup. And I think Bryson was like a big part of that team. Like he he had some moments that were like when he I'll never forget I was sitting next to Steph Curry and he tried to drive what is it the 13th hole and <laughs> At uh at, at uh whistling straights, he drove it at a greenside bunker, and it was, Steph Curry was going nuts. And then on Sundays, like driving the first green, or was it Sunday singles? They yeah, drove yeah, the yeah. first drove the green and made made the putt. <laughs> yes, like he had these big moments. And I know that that he didn't party with the team. He was immediately going to long drive, just kind of bonkers. Bonkers Crazy. two years ago stuff with Bryson. Imagine skipping that. Imagine skipping that party. Yeah. Imagine deciding to skip that party because you want to go uh, get more reps in on the long drive. It's like, no, man, like you, 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 the priorities are mixed up here, bro. Yeah. So, so anyways, like, you know, this is the thing. It's, it's what we see every year. Like you get this year we got locked in as like, oh, this top 10 in the world rankings. This is what it's going to be. It's like no, it's not. It's going to change. When nobody had Wyndham Clark on their bingo Agreed. card of, 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 of Ryder Cup lock, and now he's there, right? And and somebody's going to get. What's fascinating is what if one of these guys that we have out wins the Open? What yeah. if you know? I don't think this is going to happen. What if Harris English wins the Open? Then all of a sudden, it puts more pressure on, like you know, JT or Sam Burns to do something at any point. Now, you we, we by the way, we mentioned the locks and I think you and I had the same list. My one and I, I said there was a name on there that I could see potentially not making the team in terms of chemistry issues. And that's Patrick Cantlay. I mean, again, going back to Jordan and JT r- running the show, I mean, I, I wonder if Cantlay could kind of get like 2017 Sam Burns's from that Walker Cup team where Sam Burns was collegiate player of the year and then doesn't get picked for whatever reason, which seemed insane at the time, obviously, and then we've seen what Sam Burns has done. But if Cantlay's not an automatic pick and more of these stories come out about him doing whatever the hell he's doing, and if you haven't read the Eamon Lynch article, I, I urge you to go to golfweek.com and read it. But, you know, I mean, these people don't want the drama, man. Like, they don't want drama in the room. And when you think about live players right now, the two that we listed – Brooks being on the team, and I think it's it's likely he's going to be on the team, if not a lock. And Dustin, who I think is going to be on the team, those dudes are not drama-based. They're going to come in there, and they're going to want to play golf, and they're going to want to win, and they're going to want to hang out with the dudes, and they're good to go. But if Cantlay's in there, and there are some people that are questioning what he tells people or if they can trust him, I'm just saying if he's seven or eight on the list, maybe they leave him off if if – one of those players won the open and there's not as many available spots. Well, and I think that's the thing, right? Is like that's where that power of JT and and Jordan lies. Like Z- right. Xander and Cantley over the last 3 years 
have been better players. Like I mean, JT has bigger totally, wins, totally. But Xander and Cantley have been just consistent top six players in the game, and I think that's the the where I see a hard time. I where I envision a very difficult. There, I don't think Cantley could be removed from the team just in general with where he is right now, just simply because the Xander pairing is just automatic, right? It is, it's a, but, but, but Andy, but Andy, didn't we feel like that with Reed and J- Jordan? And then that eventually ran its course, you know, I mean, it was like, well, these, these guys are, the are fr- these guys are friends though. That's the difference. Like, you know, like <laughs> one of the guys in the, in the Reed Spieth pairing was being held hostage. <laughs> Jordan, Jordan, every team event was going, oh, God, I got to do this again. Yeah. Why do we keep winning matches? You know, the other two are like vacationing together. And that's where I think like, you know, what you said earlier about pairings, right? That that's just a, a pairing with with what you said about Sergio. Who's going to play with Sergio if he if he, you put him on the team with it with this? It's Xander and Cantlay are just like an auto. And one of the things that's unique about them. That's not a pairing that you switch for alternate shot or for for best ball, right? Right. It's a it's a just send them out there and play, and they were really good. And and you know, so I don't know. I think like Cam Young, Sam Burns, if these guys do anything in the next couple weeks, how do you not pick them? I mean, I I think I think I'd lean more towards Burns than Cam Young right now, just because yeah. the way Cam has played this year. But yeah, I mean. You know, the, the problem is, and, and this is a good problem to have your Zach Johnson is that, like we said, there's basically eight or nine names that are there, you know, and, and they're just not going to switch. So it's all about shuffling the final two or three and a lot's going to be decided in the next few weeks. I mean, I think in terms of this Ryder Cup team for both sides, this is going to be as important and open headed into the Ryder Cup as we've had in a long time, because if you go out there and play, if you go out there and do something. You might just play your way onto this team, especially if you do, if you play two good weeks, like if you play well at the Scottish and then roll that into the open and you are kind of like a Harris English type of player, like you said, Andy, I could totally see in you rolling yourself into this because it's like, hey, there's, if you're Zach Johnson, you send a text out to five guys and go, I'm going to pick one of y'all. So go out and prove something to me on the golf course these next three weeks. Do you know what Colin Morikawa is in the world rankings? Isn't it like 16 or 17? 20. He's 20th. So do you don't th- you don't think he's a lock on the team? Do you think he makes the team? I mean, I I think that's the one that I think JT's a lock because of who he is. Okay. My question would be around Morikawa. Like we you talk about, you know, since since the Genesis, he had a 13th at the players, a 10th at the Masters. But then, you know, since then it's been 31st MC, 26th, 29th WD with the back, 14th at the U.S. Open, cut at the Travelers, right? Like, I, it's a fascinating aspect. Like, Colin Morikawa, so Finau, who's further down, he's 14th, right? Colin Morikawa is closer to Kurt Kitayama, and he's the same distance away from Brian Harmon in the world rankings as he is from Tony Fina. Zalatoris, who hasn't played all year. I is saw 13th. this. I was looking at this last he's, night. It's so wild. That he's 13th and played a golf. I mean, Brooks Kepka, who's played like three events that count is 12th. Like, you know, it's just, I think like the question 
for the U.S. team is: Are they going to become what they what they what they resisted against? What they this era of player fought against, and and then that immediately goes to JT and Morikawa. It's and the interesting thing, Andy, is going back to what we said about whistling straights. It was Morikawa and Dustin, right? And they were mm-hmm. this dominant team, and they're two players that you could easily leave off the team and it not be some crazy thing that Zach decided to do. I mean, they just haven't played the type of golf that's worthy, in theory, of a pick. You'd be picking them more for who they are and their names and their Wikipedia pages over what they've actually done on the golf course the last couple of years. Now, for Dustin, I rolled Dustin out there similarly to what you said about Moronk. Dustin's going to make a lot of birdies, and Dustin typically finds game at these types of events. For Morikawa, it's maybe bigger question marks just simply because it hasn't seemed like the consistency in the game and what he's good at has been there in 2023. Yeah, I mean, how do you pick Ke- how do you pick Morikawa over, over Keegan o- or JT over Keegan at this point? I know. There's no way. Yeah, is it a Ryder Cup team or is it a like a Buddies. boys yeah. club? Yeah. Right. I, I mean, that's the question. Zach. The is, problem with which, Zach is Zach's kind of in the boys club, yeah. you know, so like Zach's the guy probably in those text chains, you know, and he's probably, you know, playing a lot of golf with JT and hanging out with, you know, the group that is going to push for certain names over other names. Like Rick, the U.S. team's very compelling. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, the European team is is got a lot of question marks and it's going to be interesting to see what kind of, you know, extreme they go with. And the American team is going to be, are you basing it off of play in 2023? Or are you basing it off of who the player is? Yeah, it, it's the new um, theory has always been like recent four gang guys that are playing great golf. And this year, unless something drastically changes, that it would if you went with that, it would lead to a big shakeup in the, in the team room. And maybe some people that would have their feelings hurt. Yeah, I mean it's part of it though. I mean, I, what is the what is the whole what is the whole line everybody likes to lean on? Like play better, you know. I mean, you want to argue about this in a players only meeting, play better. You don't agree with the designated events, play better. And if you're on the outside looking in in terms of qualifying spots, play better golf. And the problem is is the guys that have played better golf this season that are right around 6 and 7 might not get picked because they aren't pip level golfers right mm-hmm. yeah it's uh all right i think that's a good spot to uh to stop this discussion we're still months out but uh it is uh it is it is coming up quick so shane where uh what do you got going on you just you mentioned you had a pod with zach uh on get a grip anything else you got cooking i got a series coming out with uh scratch in the next couple of months um we went to wisconsin did a caddy series um that'll be fun uh, doing all the corn fairy stuff. So I think our next event is the Utah championship. That's early August. I get to work with James Nitties, who is the man, Haley Hunter, um, and uh, Gary Christian down on the golf course. So yeah, I love doing the KFT stuff. I know you were fired up for the first one we did because uh, Adrian won. And I know you were uh, circling that on the, on the schedule. If he could uh, go out there and contend and he wins it in the playoffs. So uh, corn fairy is awesome. I, I I love those. We play a lot of golf in Jacksonville those weeks as well. So uh, it's kind of a double dip of fun. Yeah, that's great. Um, thanks for coming on, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode was edited by the aforementioned 
uh, Matt Ruches. Thank you, Matt. As a quick reminder, we are humming in Club TFE. Uh, we also have a... Uh, so if you want to support us there, Club TFE, we've got our membership uh, program, which is $120 for the year. Uh, it gets you loads of content, early access to events, uh, member video every month, all sorts of good stuff, course profiles. So if you're into that, I'm going to be writing up some stuff on the, my New York trip in there. Uh, you can go there. Uh, the other thing, we have a photography sale this weekend in, uh, in the pro shop. So check that out. Uh, and then uh, last but not least, if you're looking to come out to one of our events, we've got some space at the Common Ground event, which is in Colorado. Uh, that event is in August, uh, mid-August. If you want to look for that, go to the thefriedegg.com and across the top, there's an events tab. You can find all the information there. Uh, Common Ground's a great Renaissance golf design golf course. Tom Doak and Renaissance did it. And uh, it's the week of the USAM. Um, we're working with the USGA now on getting ticket options, free tickets for anybody that comes. So you'd be able to go either Saturday, which is the final four, pretty good day to go watch golf at uh, Cherry Hills, or the day before that, which would be the kind of round of 32, another scintillating day of golf. So um, thank you guys for listening, and we'll be back next week with more um, from the Fried Egg. We've got a bunch of U.S. Women's Open stuff and Pebble content, so check that out. Thanks, and we'll talk to you next week. (laughs) 